The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back. Podcast number 186. We are streaming this one live on YouTube, but I think from now on we are going to not do that. Uh, and for some reason, my hotkeys have just decided to stop working. Oh, um, all the hotkeys that yeah, you set up I for set the them up. different cameras? Yeah, and they worked great when I was testing. And uh, now they, they decided not to work. So, If anybody would like to just donate five to $10,000 <laughs> so that we can get the right equipment up in here. Uh, we would be very grateful. I, I, I literally tested them before we started, hit the hotkey, did not one work. of them stream decks. Yeah. You know, one of these days we'll actually have what we've been talking about for three years, the plug and play, where we just come up here, turn on two light switches, and then it's done. And one of these days. There's a Jamie in the corner. Yeah. That would also mm-hmm. help. That's what I would like to have. We could do, they, we could do a clay maybe, in the corner. Well, maybe they would even have, like, uh, they would even have the subject of what we're going to talk about ready? Like, that'd be nice. I'd really enjoy that. I think we'd do a Clay in the Corner. I think he would enjoy that. I do. I really think Clay would would enjoy it. I mean, as much effort as he's put into some of these podcasts, like, that would give him some, give him something to do. I know he's happy about that right yeah. now that we're talking about it. But, um, so, uh, this podcast, cords. we're I'm going about to kick all the cords. We're going to talk there about, um, cash record and some of the features camera features that we love that have become and, and I think we need to talk about things that have even been added over the years from like when I started to things that cameras have now you know when you talk about you know because I've had cash record for a long time now but it's it's evolved to where it's a little bit different than it used to be we used to have cash record for high speed mm-hmm. and then we had high speed and then we had cash record and high speed so wanted to talk about a, a couple of those things and Maybe start off with uh, you just got back from an elk hunt, right? How did uh, how did that go? Uh, I wouldn't say that it. I mean, the hunting was not great. Mm-hmm. The I mean, it was it was a good trip as far as like who I was with and um, hanging out with people and that kind of stuff. But as far as the hunting aspect of it went, uh, it didn't go too great. I think that we hit it at the wrong time. Um, for one of however many reasons. I'm not an expert in these things, and I don't think anybody is. You can't really ever say why the elk aren't doing what the but it elk rain, are supposed it, to do. It rained the whole time too, didn't it? Yeah. it. I, so we were in New Mexico, um, and it rained, I think, every day. Nice. I think it rained every That's day. That's what you want. A few days it rained on us the whole time that we were out. Um, so I, I think I film, I filmed more in the rain and snow in the past month 
cumulatively between this hunt and the British Columbia hunt than I, oh, I have. I was thinking, I was like, when did you film in the snow? Yeah, I and and I've it's more filming in the rain and snow than I've done over the course of my the other seven years of me filming hunts. Yeah. Um I don't really like filming in the rain. It's kind of a pain. Honestly. How did, how did the gear and everything hold up in the rain? Uh the gear was fine. Uh I I wish that I knew exactly how waterproof the FX six was. <laughs> So that I knew, like, when I could push it and not put the rain gear on, and when I had to put the rain gear on. I think I, you got to worry some... more about. I think you got to worry more about the mics and the outside stuff than the big camera and the lenses, don't you think? Yeah, I think that the hot shoe is definitely very susceptible to moisture. Uh, I'm always worried about it getting into where the handle taps into the body. Um, and then all of the buttons on the top handle are what seem to take the brunt of any moisture. And to this point, nothing has happened with them. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't put the rain gear on as soon as... Um, I don't put the rain gear on as soon as there's a little bit of moisture. I try to see if maybe I play a little chicken with the rain, if it'll go away. <laughs> Same. Because it seems Done like... Done that before and lost it, that fight. This is what seems to happen is... Like 80% of the time, when you finally give in, you're like, fine, okay? You've won, Mother Nature. I've accepted you're going to rain. You're raining too much for me to feel comfortable with running this camera just naked out in it, okay? So I'm going to put my rain gear on the camera. So you take your backpack off. You dig the rain gear out. You put it on. You get it all situated. Stops. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, that was so much wasted effort and time. Yeah. And then by that time... Then you're moving, like if you're elk hunting, you're moving around somewhere else now. And you don't want to be like, hey, guys, can we stop again so I can take all this off? Because then if you take it all off, then suddenly the heavens open up with more rain. So yeah. I try to play that chicken game where, like, maybe if I don't put the rain gear on, it'll stop. Yeah. But you really never know. I always experience when I have to put rain gear on my camera, we always have to make a mad dash in the rain, and I rip it through every limb and tree and bush wherever we're at and then my rain gear is no longer waterproof which defeats the purpose so yep. that's why i carry cheapy cheapo rain gear because i try my best not to have to break it out if i can help it yeah i i had my favorite rain solution is always a clear trash bag and electrical tape yeah and i cut a hole in one end stick the lens through it electrical tape it to the uh, lens hood and Sometimes I'll, like, make a hole for where the viewfinder comes through and electrical tape that call today. Uh, the only problem is it's loud, it's kind of flappy, and it's just a pain. It's not easy to take on and off the camera. So once you put that on the camera, you have to, like, commit that you're committing to having the Ranger on the camera for a long period of time. So I did not do that this hunt. I had it in case it really started pouring, and... Uh, I just went with the backpack cover solution. And I actually took, you know, those little red bungees, the mm -hmm. gear ties. Mm -hmm. I took one of those that I usually have in my case to tie up cords, and I took it with me, and I would just leave it on my wrist. And when I... Oh, like, kind of like a scrunchie. Yeah, like a little scrunchie. And when I would put the uh, rain gear on, I'd take that off, and I'd actually use it to bungee the rain gear back 
from the lens. So you know how on the FX6, the handle comes out and over the lens. Mm -hmm. And then on mine, I have my mic receiver and my shotgun mic. So if like the rain gear just drapes off of those, the backpack cover, if it just drapes off of those, it kind of gets in the way. So I would take one corner of the backpack cover, put it on there, and then use that to kind of pull it back. And then there's a couple of bungees on the pack cover that I have that I was experimenting with, like, putting them around different things so they would hold it on there a little bit better. I used to have the best pack cover in the world. It was actually a – I found it in a bargain a bargain bin at Uncle Lee's in Kentucky, which is a hunt store there in western Kentucky, and it was in a giant bargain bin. It was like 3 bucks. But it was a, uh, believe it or not, it was it was a long. I don't even know what it was made out of, but it was like the size of four wheeler handlebars, hmm. and it was made to cover handlebars. Oh, so it was like you know this wide or this this long and this wide, so perfectly laid over the top of a camera, mm-hmm. long and narrow, and it had right in the middle, I guess to clip underneath where your screen and everything is on your four-wheeler or whatever it had a plastic buckle which would clip perfectly underneath the camera Mm. so you could just lay it on there clip it take off running with it and it wouldn't come off Hmm. and over the years i don't know where it went and i've i remember looking up that company i guess they're out of business but i've never been able to find another one because i was going to buy like 10 of them and just like store them away because it's the best one i've ever found and uh currently cannot find them anymore yeah, I uh, somebody said in the Instagram chat that they use large Ziplocs or space saver bags. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, I would. They would have to make a pretty big one. I might. You might be able to get away with like one of those little uh, trash bags that they use for uh, like bathroom trash cans. The little the little ones that are like this big, like one of those little blue ones or something. So it's a little bit. I carry see through. I carry a. Um, what I carry for rain cover is I carry a backpack cover because mm-hmm. it will double as a backpack cover, but obviously the priority is the camera. I had to do both. And I then I both. carry a backup, uh, just a cheap dollar poncho in case like it gets really crappy out there and I need to cover everything up. So that's kind of how I kind of how I run it myself. Yeah, I don't – I know I used to have a Porta brace cover for – the FS7, and I remember it really being a pain. I think the problem is cameras just aren't made to be very streamlined anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see the Weather Channel guys go out and they film in hurricanes, and they all have one of the, basically a Porta Brace cover, but they also get to run that on a shoulder or on a tripod, and they're usually using like a viewfinder, like an eyepiece instead of just a viewfinder. And uh, these cameras are not very, they're not very friendly to that, all that stuff. Cause there's just too many positions that everything could be in. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, those are made, those are made for those old ENG cameras mm-hmm. that were, you know, made to just kind of just slide over like a perfect little sewn piece and you just look through it and run around. But yeah, none of these are, these are so modular now. Like you just can't do that. I remember I was going to, I know I didn't do it, but I was going to make a reel about why camera familiarity was important because, I mean, that's one of the prime situations that camera familiarity was important. Mm Because I remember we were sitting up on a hill glassing and it literally thundered out of nowhere. And within two minutes, we were getting 
like hail the size of gumdrops or gumballs on us. And I had to throw the thing on the camera. And I also wanted to get footage of the hail. Mm-hmm. And I fought it because it was I couldn't keep the lens clear. I couldn't keep the screen clear, anything. I got a few clips that are halfway decent. Um, but I basically had to run the entire thing blind besides like what you could see on your monitor. Had to be able to you know run the entire are. camera under a cover. Yeah. And that's that's one of the most annoying things about uh, running with the rain gear is you just can't see where anything is at. You got to yeah. do it all by feel, yeah. which slows you down. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, cash record a minute. So that's kind of what we wanted to. Now we're probably not going to do the whole co- podcast about it, but kind of talk about the evolution of, I guess, camera features. And this might be this might go way far back for some people, but I'll kind of add a little preface in there for you know, where it came from. Like, we started with cameras that were, I mean, shooting 60 was a big thing. If it would shoot 60 frames a second, that was a major deal. It was 30 or 24. Like, that was it. Mm -hmm. It was tape. There was no high speed. There was no cash. There was no nothing. Um, And then I remember... Back in what, the 80s? Shut up. I remember when the uh, (laughs) FS700 came out, which was the worst camera in terms of ergonomics there's ever been. Um, It would have... It had a... I want to say it was an eight-second... If I remember right, eight second cache, it would shoot 1080, 240 frames a second for eight seconds. But it was an end trigger. And for those of you that don't know what an end trigger is, essentially you would film a kill backwards. Here, you would need to monitor the Instagram on that. My freaking iPad will not do it. Your, uh, essentially, your, an end trigger is you do it in reverse. You don't hit record mm-hmm. until after whatever happens, happens. So you turn on the cache, you turn on the um, the, the high speed, and essentially what the camera's doing is it's recording all the time, but you don't get the footage until you hit record and you get the last eight seconds. So what we would do is we would leave it on that high speed cache and we would wait for the kill shot. We'd watch the arrow go. We were not hitting record yet. we wait until the arrow would hit. We'd count to our head to four. So we got the four seconds before and the four seconds after the kill. So we would like, you know, you're following, 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 Boom, you see the shot go off, and you'd have a time, you know, one, two, three, four. Then you hit record. How many times did somebody mess that up? How many times did I never somebody... Did. I never did. Somebody had to. Somebody had to forget to press record and <laughs> yeah. just totally miss one. I don't know. And somebody had to not time it right. I don't know. I, 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 don't remember, I don't remember us ever missing one, but... Really? No, not that I remember. Hmm. But what happens, I, I've got one. I could probably find it. I remember it was Brent Burns that shot this doe. It was one of the coolest ones I ever got. Very last light, and those cameras weren't great in low light anyway. And uh, he shoots the doe. I hit record. And the coolest thing about it, I don't know if it's the coolest thing or not, back then it was cool. You got to watch the clip process and render in the camera. So you got to watch it back as it processed. But here's the caveat. Like you could only, like it would shut your camera down. You could do nothing with it until it rendered that clip. And eight seconds of high speed and 240 ended up being like 30 seconds of video. So for 30 seconds and then another four or five seconds for it to buffer and come back up for almost a minute, you're done. Like If anything happens, you have to wait. <laughs> and, there, and you can't stop the recording. You can't turn the camera off or that clip's gone. So you had to hit record and just kind of like, wait for it to get done then switch back over into regular out of high speed and then get to reaction. So 
you know, you never got that perfect genuine reaction unless you had a second angle going because you had to wait for the camera to finish rendering mm-hmm. and then say, okay, now jump up and down because you shot a deer. And it was, it was, it was good because you got cool high speed footage, but which I mean, after a minute, usually everybody's still pretty pumped up and you're going to get good stuff, but you never get it exactly like you want it, I guess. Yeah. So um, it was one of those deals to where I, it was really cool. It was a cool feature, but that camera, the the screen flipped up dead center. It was a tiny little screen. Probably, well, I guess it's about the size of the FS, FX6 maybe. Round, roundabout, and it flipped up in the back. So it wasn't out here on the side. It was in the back of the camera. So it was right in your face. There was no handles. You had to be very modular. And it was one of the first ever cameras I ran that had a, you could remove the lens. And it was just a big cinder block brick. But it was beautiful. I, I know guys that are still running those cameras. Really? That's been, those came out 12, 13, 14 years ago, at least. Because that we were running the 300Ks and the, oh, what was that camera? The first one ever ran that I loved so much. That was like, freaking it was like it was the easiest camera in the world run everybody was running them back in the day and they were like 10 grand i don't even remember the daggum name anyway those were the ones we only had one fs 700 and then that then right after that came the 300k then came the nx5u then came the fs7 which is this master wide right here is the fs7 we still have one and i remember that camera was a game changer because it came out with Cash record, which we're going to talk about in a minute, which you, we've kind of already talked about, came out with high speed, like continuous high speed, like nobody had that yet. Mm-hmm. And then um, it came out with 4K, I think 60, maybe? Yeah, I think it did 4K 60. And then that was big. And then it had the different co- picture profiles. It was quote unquote a cinema camera because you could replace the lenses. Um, so it was one of those cameras that was a game changer for a lot of people. And a lot of people were scared to run that camera because it wasn't a handy cam or it wasn't an all-in-one, you know? Yeah, I started on the uh, NX5U. Yeah, That's I had I an NX5. That's I came the picture was the NX5U. <laughs> Young book. Which I think, I think was old at the time that I started. Oh, really? Yeah, because Mark had had it for a few years. So he had the NX5U. That's how I started learning film. And then when you came out, and told us what camera to get. You told us to get the FS7. And so that's when we got the FS7. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Is that, that, is that the one? That might be the same FS7. I don't think so. Or did we sell that specific one? We might have sold that specific one. I remember bidding it goodbye. Yeah, I think we did. I think we, I think we did sell that particular one, but I don't remember when. Because we, we ran that th- up until two. I ran an FS7 up until two years ago. We had two. We got the th- FX6s. Do we have two? Do we have two or three of those? Do we have we, three? We had two because you had one and I had one. And then I think when Clay started filming, he brought an FS5. FS5. And I ran the FS7 until the FX6 came out, mm-hmm. and that's when we switched to the FX6. And this yeah. is our second se- second season with the FX6s. Yep. Um, and I th- honestly, I think I just fi- I just now finally 
have developed like a really good familiarity with the FX six. Yeah, same. Um, because I remember like with the FS seven, I wouldn't even I could didn't even have to look at it. I just well just a minute just a minute ago to set it up, I was having issues remembering where everything was because I haven't ran it in so long. You know, it's my muscle s- memory is now FX six, so I'm looking for the FX six yeah. buttons and they're not there. Yeah. It's like almost there, but yeah. it's not quite there. Same. Yeah. Um, so um. The, the features that came out on the FS7, they're not exactly the same as the FX6, but they're pretty dang close. So the big feature was the continuous high speed, which that camera would shoot in... 120. 120 continuous, in 1080. 1080. So... You could do 60 frames a second in 4K. Okay. Yeah, but... But no, the, I don't... Nobody was... The 4K workflow was not standard. But that then. was the first camera that I ever had cash record on. I'm trying to think. Or no, the 300K had cache record. Yeah. So that was the first camera I ever had cache record. It didn't have high speed, but it had cache record. And I remember learning that feature on a bow fishing trip and going, this is going to make my life so much easier because I don't have to record everything all the time or be so fast on the trigger or really even pay attention the whole time. I can just put my earbuds in put that sucker on a five-second cache. I think it was a three- or five-second cache is all you could have. I might have even had it on three. But I literally hold that camera kind of at a semi-ready position, focus pulled on the water, and wait for here Chuck or John or JP say, right here, fish or whatever, and then I would just literally point the camera in the direction of the fish, hit record, and by the time I'm hitting record, usually they've already shot. Mm -hmm. So I got the audio, I got the shot, and then everything after that, I just continue recording. So essentially what the camera's doing, and I think you did a really good job of explaining this, it's like a time machine. It's mm-hmm. essentially what the camera's doing. Is, is There will re- be a YouTube video on cash record. Yeah, that's why we decided to do this. Essentially, so what the camera's doing is is, is it, it chews your battery up a little faster because it's, it's processing all the time. So it's reading and writing, reading and writing, reading and writing, reading and writing to your card as it's in cash. So essentially when it's in cash, it's recording all the time. And then you go into the menu and you set a time limit. I think the FX6, you can go up to like 20 seconds, can't you? 31. 31. Wow. Max, the, you've got four, five settings, and it goes from five to 31. So f- between five in seconds. regular speed yeah. in, in 24 frames a second. Between five seconds and 31 seconds. So essentially if you, we use it a lot for like, uh, especially bow fishing is great. But, you know, say you've got a turkey goblin and you want to get a good goblin clip, but you don't want to just sit there and record and record a whole clip, well, you just set it on, you know, cash record, wait until it gobbles, hit record, and you get it from 5 to 31 seconds before you ever hit record. So it's recording all the time, and then when you say you have it set to 5 seconds just for easy math, you hit record, well, it gets the 5 seconds of video before you hit record and everything after seamlessly. I mean, te- technically, it's not really it's not really recording the entire time because when you're recording, that data is getting written and saved to the card. Mm-hmm. It's basically it's putting that data in a cache and saving a certain amount of it, and then it just trashes it on a like continuous loop until yeah. you press record. And then yeah. once you press record, it saves however long that cache is, mm-hmm. so the five seconds in this example, and then continues recording. Mm-hmm. Which which makes life really, really nice, especially in hunting situations when you're waiting on a deer to step out, waiting on a turkey to gobble, waiting on ducks to fly, waiting on a fish to 
show up waiting on mm-hmm. all the you know what we do is wait yeah and and being in a position to where you can wait efficiently and only hit record when you got what you need or there's something there of value yeah i remember before it before we had cash we would literally film um just tons of trash clips because you didn't know if you were going to get what you needed. So you just had to roll all the time, and you never in the field go back and delete trash clips. I mean, they just always end up on a hard drive somewhere and take up space. I don't even know how to delete clips on the FX6. You, I, oh. tr- I looked. I tried. I was looking all around to try to figure out how to do it. I think you do it inside thumbnail. So when you go into thumbnail, you can delete them individually. I was trying. Oh, really? You never figured it out? I've done it before. I couldn't figure it out because I was, I was like, oh, I wonder if I had to delete some clips. Like what? How would I go do this? And I was sitting there messing with it and couldn't figure it out. I didn't have service because I couldn't Google it. So I was just, I was like, I don't know. I guess there's nothing you could do. (laughs) And then I got anxious because then I thought about what if I run out of card space? I have no recourse. I'd have to switch to my R5. And then I thought about how horrible that would be. Yeah. You've had to do that before on a mountain lion hunt. Uh, No, it was actually worse because it was my 5D. Oh. So I didn't even, I didn't even have the articulating screen. Yeah. So there was like, Two places I could hold the camera. First world problems. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't get a 5D for video. So 5D Mark IV. Cash record is something that we use all the time, and it almost we almost overuse it because I know in a couple times I've been in edits and I forgot I left for cash record on, and there's five to seven seconds of trash at the beginning of every clip because you forgot that you were on cash record and the first five or six seconds is literally dragging the camera through the trees and then all of a sudden. Okay, now now I can. It's a usable clip. So there's five or seven seconds of trash leading up until then. Um, and I know we the whole shed hunt. Joe is in cash record. <laughs> Go ahead and call Joe out. That's good. Which I mean, I guess I could see why he was in cash record. But I think he. I feel like he also said like, "Hey, I forgot I was in cash record for this entire thing." <laughs> and so, it's not really that bad, except for the thumbnails. For all the clips. Oh, that's just, something I've never thought about. It's just like, you know, just like streaks of whatever it is. <laughs> and so you can change it. You could go into Premiere and you can set your own thumbnails. Mm-hmm. You would just have to do it for every single clip. Yeah. Which I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to do. Well, so, you go and name your clips half the time. No, I'll tag them. I don't, the only time I've, uh, I've done the naming is for like Blue Stem and. I think there's one other project where it made sense. But now I just go and do color labels of the clips and I just color label them by by general category. Yeah. And that, I do that too. And then I can make smart bins. And really the most useful thing for by do the most words. Yeah, words are hard. Difficult. Um really what that is most useful for is I tag all my scenery clips and I tag all like landscape landscape clips. I'm Words. having a rough you, time with this you one. You are really having a hard time talking. And uh, that way when I need just a general shot of like a landscape or a scenery or something, I can go to a folder and I can pull every single one of those up from the entire hunt instead of having to like go through day by day and do it. But anyways, that's not really a topic for yeah. this. Well, I was trying to think of like what would be another feature that's came out in the last, you know, several years on the FX6 and FS7. I, think, I mean, I would... think slow-mo is definitely 
or high frame rate is uh is a capability that I remember being very excited about. That uh, gets way overused now. You know, I think I've seen I think I've seen that slow motion has decreased in use. Yeah. Um like I don't I use it very specifically instead of just all the time. Um and I think that I've seen it kind of not be used as liberally as it used to be. Yeah. You know, people aren't shooting everything in slow motion like they were. You don't have entire just shows of just straight slow motion the whole time. Um, and I think that people have kind of gotten like, now that you can, now that everybody can do it and you can do it easily, I think that people don't just spray and pray slow motion all the time. Well, they're using it. They've they finally kind of done what we've talked about forever: is use the feature as a tool and not as a not as a crutch. I mean, how many times have we talked about? I mean, but there's so many things that being used that way. Drones can be used that way. Voiceover can be used that way. Interviews can be used that way. They can be overdone. Like there's, I could name two or three shows right now that just all they are, are interviews, just stray interviews the whole time, and just B-roll to support the interviews. It's like. Just go out and film a hunt, and then we're going to sit down and talk about it for two and a half hours, cut down 30 seconds of, I mean, heck, we edited one of the shows a couple years ago. That That's all he did mm-hmm. is talk the entire time and then throw a B-roll over. And it, the show was just crap. I mean, it's not there's nothing about it that was great. So it was one of those things is like, okay, well, don't do that. Try and tell a better story in the field. Try and take a, you know, do a little work while you're out there hunting instead of just go out and hunt, which is all he wanted to do was hunt. And yeah. so have somebody follow him. Um, but, uh, it's one of those things to where if any, any tool or any, you know, I remember when this was years and years and years ago when motorized sliders first came out, just every single, the whole dude, Heartland bow hunter, God love them. They had so many motion control time lapses in their shows. That's all it was. It was just a motion control time. And they were cool. But when I still to this day do not think that I've actually successfully pulled off a motion time lapse. And oh, I I, have. I hate sliders. Oh, well. I hate sliders. Every time I've had to mess with a slider, I just get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> they just, I don't know why they I, they continue to elude my understanding. It's, it's not. The, There's just too many parts. I, I, I'm tired of it. I, I don't want to have to set up five tripods and <laughs> plug in 45 things so that I could get the camera moving to side by side. I'll just put it in slow motion and go like this. <laughs> It's not quite the same thing, but yeah. It's about the same. It's about the same. We we had we had a bunch in the sub seven days and it was I felt like we were always chasing trends and never setting them. Like Heartland Bowhunter always set the trends. They were always the ones that they were the first ones to do motion control. They were the first ones to do time lapses, period. First ones to do night lapses, first ones to have a drone, first ones to do and I and they were chasing the action sports industry, they were chasing what was a step above what we were doing. They always were. And they trendset a lot of what happened in the glory days of TV. Um, If you didn't have high speed, if you didn't have drone, if you didn't have motion control time lapses, then you didn't have a good show. And the story, and, and, and killing big stuff, story was an afterthought, you know. Mm-hmm. The rest of it was just as many 
gimmicky high production value pieces as you possibly can do. And um, it's changed now to where I think story is a little a little more center focused, not a lot a lot more center focused like we'd like. But I mean, I think it's gone the opposite way. I think instead of I think instead of chasing production value, which is what a lot of those things were, a lot of them are tools to add some production value. I think now it's become a race to see like who can put out the stuff the fastest. And I mean, there's some editing trends that I'm would love for it to go away, but um, that are fueled by social media. But other than that, I mean, yeah. that's, again, that's a topic for another day. Oh, yeah. But I think slow motion is definitely a tool that we do use, and I mean, we use fairly regularly. Oh yeah, um, well, slow motion kill shots. Like it doesn't get much a whole lot better than that. Yeah, or. I mean, there's a lot of things that we use slow motion for, and so having a camera that can do those was and is important, you know. Yeah. Like, you have to have a camera that does it. You can't run around. You can, um, but it's a tool that most people would like to have is something that will shoot at least 120 frames a second in 4K, mm-hmm. you know. I know we could shoot 240 and 1080 on the FX6, and we've, I did it one time. I did a clip one time just to see what it would I be. I think you can shoot high faster than that, can't you? Um, you can shoot like 960 and 720, something yeah. stupid like that. Which, why? But it's cool. You can. <laughs> but you can. I mean, I guess that's why you would do it is because you can. we got to remember to reframe that one a little bit more like center frame so we can oh. re- repurpose these as reels. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think slow motion is important. It's something we use every day. Uh, do we need to talk about how slow motion works? Yeah. Or what's something else that has been like a feature? I would say dual base ISO. Dual base ISO and and internal NDs is a big one. Yeah. Those are two features that I'd love to had a long time ago. Um, I think the dual base ISO is probably the newest feature. We talk about that last. Yeah. Maybe we talk about internals. So, yeah, so internal NDs, like, you know, a lot of guys out there that run mirrorlesses, um, God bless you, having to carry around filters and deal with that crap all the time. So, essentially, our camera is just another reason to run a big camera or a cinema camera is um, internal NDs. And um, having those be, like, the FX6 is even a variable. So, there's not, I remember, like, the FX... It's a variable electronic. A variable electronic. Because the FS7 has a knob on the front yeah and you can hear it switching mm-hmm. oh you can see it switching big yeah. time too like you'll go there's actually a, there's a i assume it's glass but it could be something else it's just a filter i mean but, it's just a filter that you guys carry around it's built into that in front of that sensor is exactly what yeah. it is so i remember you could that was neat to me mm-hmm. um because I, I don't think nx 5 u had that I don't remember. And so the NDs were pretty cool. I feel like our 300Ks did, but I can't remember. I want to say they were like a, they were literally like a, a button. It had like three positions. You like pulled it down, mm. if I remember correctly. I'd have to go look that up. It's been so long, but um, that's just a, such a great feature, just to know that that's there, that that's and then with the electronic. And you're running around, it's bright sunshine or whatever, and having that thing on variable or even auto, it's it's nice to have that, to be able um, to just run and gun and know that you're 
keeping somewhat good exposure between highlights and, you know, shadows and everything else, especially because we're, I mean, 95% of what we do is outside. Mm-hmm. So it's um just makes it nicer and you don't have to mess with filters. The filters don't get dirty because they're internal. Um, they don't get scratched. They don't get broken unless you drop your camera, and then I guess they could get broken. But um, And it's nice with the electronic variable is it's a continuous range. Yeah. So you don't have to choose out of four. You can set your f-stop exactly how you want it and then essentially use the ND filters to dial it all the way in. Yeah. So you can basically leave every single setting the same except for the ND filters, which is really nice. <laughs> 42 Pro said, what filters? <laughs> uh, we've had a couple of uh, things sent to us by freelancers that they believed in the no filters too. They just run their shutter speed up to one one thousandth and then just let it eat. I can tell. I can also tell if something was shot in slow-mo and um, over-cranked. Almost every single thing on the um, hard knocks, almost all of hard knocks, any of the gameplay footage is slow-mo cranked back up to regular speed. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. You could tell. Yeah. I mean, you can tell if you know what you're looking for. Tell me, Ryan Lighten. I can tell, too. It just looks jittery. Yeah, it does. It looks different. It looks too sharp. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that's been jarring to me is when I've been watching live football, and they have the regular stadium cameras, and now they've got, I don't know what camera it is, but it's some kind of camera like this. It's a camera with actual depth of field, Mm -hmm. and they have it on a gimbal, and so when somebody scores a touchdown – they run in there with that camera on the gimbal, and it switches, and the entire feel of that footage is so different than how all of the gameplay footage looks. It's like night and day. Just you got regular like broadcast camera, ENG lenses, those big, huge box lenses, and all of a sudden, it's like cinema camera, and they could not be more different. And mm-hmm. I pointed it out, and Cleo was like, "I didn't even notice anything." I was like, you don't notice. And it she, looks and exactly. You ruined, and you, try, you tried to ruin it for her? Yeah. Well, so we were over there with Clay and Taylor, and we were watching football, and Clay and I started talking about, like, something in that range. And then uh, both of them were like, yeah, you guys have ruined watching <laughs> things. Because I, I, for the life of me, can't just watch something. So talk about, talk about real quick, dual base ISO, because I want to tell you what I've started watching, and I'm four episodes in. Okay. Dual base. Um, yeah, I would say dual base ISO is probably the at this time dual base ISO. I also want to talk about log. Actually, I think that's important. Um, I is, think that's been around a while, though. Yeah, but we could talk about it, mm-hmm. and also the fact that it's overused. <laughs> um, <laughs> overused by people who don't know what the what they're doing. Yeah. I was going to use a cuss word there, but I can't. You um, thought hard about it. Yeah. I was trying to think of what cuss word I could use, and I thought I would just go with zero of them. <laughs> uh, so dual base ISO is a feature in which you can essentially change the sensitivity of your camera sensor to light. And it allows you to use your camera... Uh, in a higher ISO than you would, or it essentially allows you to use your camera in a high ISO 
and get just about as clean of an image as if you used it at its native ISO. Mm-hmm. So every camera has a native ISO in which the image is as clean as it's going to get. And then generally, if there's not a dual base ISO, every step you crank that ISO up or gain if you're using that, but just like use ISO these days. Um, as you crank that up, you introduce uh, noise incrementally into your footage, and it just gets worse and worse and worse as you go through the range. Well, with dual base ISO, uh, you actually have, in in practicality, two base ISOs. You have a low base and you have a high base. And the low base is your regular that you're going to run most of the time. If you get in a low light situation or you need more light um, so that you can mess with other settings, you can put it in a high base ISO. And that high base uh, will have a similar, uh, maybe slightly more noise than it would have in the low base. I think the only other thing that you lose is maybe some dynamic range on some cameras, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, that's been game changer. Um, that has been a game changer for especially our industry. Uh, I remember when the A7S three came out and people said that the A7S three could like see in the dark. Um, but it was not using a dual base ISO. It was just using less megapixels, uh, but larger spread across a full frame sensor, which yeah. allowed it to pick up more light. And so the A7S three, a lot of guys were switching to it because it could give you the extra 15 minutes uh, on the front and back end of every day in what would essentially be prime time, especially for big, mature animals. Um, and you could get a nice, clean image out of that camera. And there wasn't really a camera that was equivalent to it uh, until, I want to say, the FX6. Um, or I think there was maybe an A7R or something like that that was similar. Uh, but it didn't. They didn't never necessarily have dual base ISO. The FX6 came out, and it had built-in dual base ISO. And so now you can run it at 320 is the low base, and then at 5,000. So you could, when you need which we 5, would 000, you should never would run a camera that high ever. Yeah. and that's the base. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit noisier, but not significantly. And it certainly is a ton cleaner. Oh my gosh. Um. And so I think that's been something that right now I would say that it's beginning to make the switch. I think going forward you'll probably see that dual base ISO mode come standard in a lot of cameras. It's not yet. I know well, there's there's some cameras that have like a fake dual base yeah. where they've ran tests and you progress through the ISO range and then at a certain ISO it will visibly switch into the other sensor. Because that's what it's doing. A dual-base ISO is essentially rerouting your your some electronics in the camera hardware to increase the sensitivity of your sensor. Uh, and that's all science-y. But, uh, <laughs> all science-y. There are some cameras that have it and don't necessarily advertise that they have dual-base ISO, where yeah. the... Um, the F- FX6s and I think the FX9s and maybe the Sony Venice all have that mode explicitly built into them. Yeah. 
And and I think it's – I shot some test footage the other night when me and Chuck were uh, trying to kill that stupid bear at 100,000 ISO. And it looked way better. Did than you put it on the computer and look at it? Yeah. It looked way better than cameras that I've ran in the past, like with as much gain or as much ISO as you can give them. And they just look like it's snow and it's so noisy. Mm-hmm. And this one has definitely got noise, 100% very noisy. But it's like the noise is so small and granular. Like it's still usable. And it was it was past where we could shoot, look to his peep and shoot. And I could have still filmed something. It's just stupid. It's crazy how well those things can see mm-hmm. with very little light. I mean, you get a you get a night with it's just like like a full moon. You could legitimately get some pretty cool stuff, I think. But uh, yeah. So you want you said you wanted to talk about log. Yeah, I think that um, with all cameras, essentially now that people are filming with everything, but mostly handy cameras. Uh, and I think some of those handy cams have log, don't they? Yeah, I think some of the um, more expensive handy cams have log. We call them handy cams. They're camcorders, is yeah. what they are. Um, some of those prosumer camcorders have log, but especially once you get into the DSLR and the mirrorless world, and then obviously the um, kind of the cinema cameras that we have, all of them are capable of some kind of log shooting. Even drones and GoPros are. And uh, I see a lot of people shoot in log and not do anything with it. Yeah, just, just they just, just think deliver that if it they in shoot log. in log that it's gonna look better. Which, yeah. technically speaking, it can look better. Yeah, but you log is a shooting format, not a delivery format. Yeah, you don't deliver in log. At the very least, you got to throw a LUT on it <laughs> and convert it to seven oh nine. Like at the very least. And I think that, I think what happens is people watch all these YouTube videos that tell them like the best settings to run for their camera, and then they use those best settings without the knowledge of what it takes to utilize all of those settings in a workflow to output a final product. And so they get told, okay, yeah, you need to shoot in 4K in a log a log color space um, or a log profile, and that is going to give you the highest quality. And it's true, but unless you color grade that and unless you export in a certain way, it's not going to look good. And so there's a lot of people that, or maybe they just don't care. They just... I don't think they care. They just put log out there or people think it's cool they'll look at it and see that it's like a like oh that's that's moody it's like all you used to be his chance our ball production manager he's like you know because you know we have freelancers that send stuff in and the white balance which is like it'd be so bad or it would be way over it was a creative decision that's exactly what he would do he's like Make it black and white. Call it creative. <laughs> I used to love when he'd say that. I'm like, I freaking love that. He's like, make it black and white. Call it creative. Yeah, yeah. I what? I mean, if you want a faded look, you can do it, but still do it in 709. <laughs> like, put a convert. Like you, I don't care what camera you're running. There's a conversion LUT. Okay, look up 
camera name, camera name log conversion LUT, or camera name log 2709 conversion LUT. Use exactly that. Mm-hmm. Just gave you the formula, okay? <laughs> and it's probably going to take you to the camera manufacturer's website. There's you, probably going to be some files to download. Oh, yeah. There's you, take be those, you take one of those files or multiple of them and load them into Premiere. And then you, you can either take an adjustment layer, you can, do, you can modify or interpret the footage, put it on there. If that's all you do, fine. Just do that at least if you're going to shoot and log. Because if not, uh, I... What it, you're not going to call them what's out. That, what's that? Well, no, I'm not going to call them out. I'm not gonna, everybody that does it, I would, that'd be a full-time job. I've literally <laughs> seen it on network television. Yeah. Uh, what's that Theo Vaughn clip? I'm not saying I'm going to judge you, but they might. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, oh. number one, you're going to look like a buffoon. Yeah. If you deliver log footage. Well, I was trying to explain to somebody that the other day. I can't remember they asked me a question about something, and I was like, well, you know, just by watching this in two seconds, I can show you, I can tell you this is fairly amateur. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, well, there's lots of fat left in the cuts. You know, the framing's not right. You know, just name three or four things that just at a first glance, like you could just tell this is somebody mm-hmm. who's just now learning. You know, they're just now shooting, and they're out trying to get, they're just trying to do cool stuff. But they don't understand the basics of rule of thirds. They don't understand flint framing. They don't understand some of just basic composition. You know, when somebody like us that looks at stuff every day, something comes through and the, the basics of composition is not there or it's still in log, we're like, like no, that's not, that's not professional work or not work that you should be getting paid for. That's playing around and you send a rough version to a client and they decided to post it, which has happened before. And, you know, and so it's one of those things to We're where... taking steps to avoid this. Yes, we have, because clients, God love them. Some of them just don't get it. They just didn't, don't understand. Didn't somebody post one of ours with, like, a time code Oh, with it? the time code in it. Yeah. Yeah, just left the time code. That's no big deal. Nobody's going to notice that. Yeah, I just... Uh, we had a whole, nothing, had a whole time sub- code running on the bottom of the screen yeah. so that surely, surely nobody would post that. Yeah, but nothing... Nothing ceases to amaze me. Time code was a creative decision. (laughs) That, well, but I have seen, but but in their defense, I have seen time code used, yeah, creatively, but not for that, not for what we were doing for them. That was just to show, and it helps. And the reason we put time code in there is first of all, so they don't post it. But second of all, when they call us for revisions and we make a cut at thirty-two seconds, well, and then they want another cut. 32, at, 13, 15. Yeah, and they want another cut at 57.50. Well, once you cut that out at 37.30, 57.50 don't line up anymore if you don't have time code in it. Mm-hmm. So you have to leave it in there so we can go back and reference. Because once you start cutting, those times start changing. Also, it lets you be it lets them be precise because most video players are only give you uh, precision at the second level. Yeah, not the frame So level. somebody could tell you, hey, at... Four minutes and twenty seconds. I don't like this thing. Yeah. But with a time code, there's frames in there, so they could say at five minutes, twenty seconds, and sixteen frames. I don't like it. Do something different, or cut right, like cut this the last little bit of this out at this mark. Yeah. And yeah, you I mean, can't get that got a lot of precision pausing the the video player that 
is on the client. And end. usually the video player doesn't go frame by frame anyway, so you no. have to be able to pause it. But I wanted to tell you what I've been – I'm four episodes in. I'm not invested yet, but I started watching Breaking Bad. You're not invested yet? No, not in four episodes in. It Honestly, and I don't even know how to say this. I shouldn't say this. You're going to say you don't like it? I've, no, no, no. It's not, not that I don't like it. I've seen a couple acting moments from Brian, Brian Cranston. I'm just like, not – not the best. I think he gets. I think he. You'll. I. I think I will. Him. But like, how long am I going to have to watch it before I get invested? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched it, so I couldn't tell you like when I got invested in it. Yeah. But I think you definitely will. Uh, I think, especially when some of the character arc transitions start to happen, at the very at the very beginning is like setting up a lot of what happens <laughs> early, later. Yeah, when, and I can see that. You know, because that's when he's gets the diagnosis. Is like, oh crap! I need to do something. What can I do? Obviously, spoilers. He starts cooking meth because yeah. he's a chemistry teacher, right? Mm. So that's like your first few episodes. Yeah. Well, story wise, that's only the catalyst for all of the other things that happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't want to give away the whole. Yeah, don't give me anything like, away. Character arc, but. That's just setting up. That's like basically setting the stage for the rest yeah. of everything to happen. Another something I watched here recently was called Rabbit Hole. It's another. It's a six or eight part series on Paramount, and it's got uh, what's his name from Twenty Four, who's done so many action movies. But essentially, he's he's like a, a corporate espionage guy, and it's a. Uh, it's one of those shows that has a bunch of like secrecy and plot twists and you know guy behind the curtain type stuff and it was it was good enough to watch six or seven episodes of it however many it was but like it wasn't just like incredible um mm-hmm. I just loved him in 24 I loved the concept of 24 did you ever watch 24 no. You'd like 24. My grandparents like 24. Oh, man, I like 24 a lot. I remember I watched 24. was the first ever series I ever binged when I first lived in Columbus when I was living in the apartment. And after work, I had nothing to do. Me and Nicole were just married. She didn't have a job yet. And I was, I get home from the office editing, and I just did nothing. And I just binge watched 24, like, on repeat. I'd watch, like, six episodes a day after I got home, like, till midnight, and then I'd Get back up, and I just been, and it's like I can't remember how many episodes. It's a bunch of episodes. I think the first show I binge watched was Doctor Who. Doctor Who. I didn't oh. even have a Netflix account. I watched it illegally. Nice. Doctor, it's a British sci-fi show. Fifty-four, fifty-one. Gotcha. I don't care. I like <laughs> Doctor Who. I actually, the other day, I saw something Doctor Who related. I was like, oh, I haven't watched Doctor Who in a long time. What this is it this about? Um. It's about essentially an alien who takes human form in the form of the doctor who the doctor changes actors every like couple of seasons, which is fine because it's allowed in the certain universe. But essentially they're, uh, I think I'm a little fuzzy on it, but these aliens are like a kind of a race of, beings who have access to time and dimension through whatever technologies they have 
And at one point in time, this entire civilization was basically destroyed, but there's a few survivors. The doctor is one of them, and he has this, like, basically spaceship that looks... You ever seen the blue telephone booth? Like, people have it on the back of their cars and stuff like that. Mm -mm. Well, essentially, on the outside, the spaceship looks like a blue telephone, like a blue telephone booth in England. But you go inside, and it's a giant spaceship. Um, And then he basically uses that to travel time and space. And then he always has, well, I think at one season, actually, it's a she, but he always has a human companion going with him on these different things. And it's just a sci-fi. So, like, you know, they're going and doing sci-fi things. You wouldn't like it. Yeah, doesn't like it. You wouldn't like like it. I mean, it's a very... It's a very niche, nerdy show. I loved That's it. That's why you liked it. But the first, all the seasons, the like special effects, horrible. Really? It's really bad. <laughs> Just incredibly bad. Dude. And, uh, but you don't care because like, the story is good and the doctor is funny. Mm-hmm. And you know there, there's through lines in the show and there's stakes and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it, that show, I think, started in like the 70s. Oh wow! And that it it's old, and it's gone through a lot of iterations, and then there's like the new revamp is what mm-hmm. I watched. I'm not, I didn't go watch the '70s version. I think I started watching the ones that started coming out in the early 2000s. So another thing I listened to the other day, I listened to a Rogan podcast, and he was talking to the director of all the John Wick movies, and how that came about. Pretty freaking cool story. Hmm. So the guy that directed John Wick. That was his first directorial job. And he had worked with Keanu on a bunch of the Matrixes like, as a stunt coordinator and a second AD. He had never, you know, he's like, when we did John Wick, just like over the top, had no idea what we were doing, and never thought it was going to go anywhere. And he's like, now it's turned into this giant franchise. Mm. And uh, he's like, we just tried to keep it authentic. And like the guy was super, he was on Rogan recently. It was really, really cool to see him and just hear his story, just how like down to earth this guy was. He's like, he's like, after we did John Wick, he's like, I still worked like as a stunt guy and a second AD for these other movies and stuff because he's like, I didn't think I was gonna have a job. So it was, <laughs> um, it was really cool to hear his perspective and why they did certain things and where some of the influences for the movie came from and fight scenes and why people loved it so much and. You know, he's like, essentially, when they started doing the movie, they sat, he said, we sat down in a room and we're like, write down, everybody write down 10 things you love about action movies and 10 things you hate about action movies. <laughs> and he's like, so everybody wrote them down. He's like, so the 10 things that, you know, that cross correlated with everybody, he's like, we got like, those things have to be in there then. He's like, and the 10 things that we hated, he's like, you know, he's like, and, we're, and he's like, when we think about action movies, we're thinking about the Mission Impossible franchise, the 007 franchise, the Bourne supremacy uh, franchise. He's like, you know, what do you love about those? We hate about them. And he's like, we tried to do that the best we could. And he's like, some of these major fight scenes and action scenes, they were shooting in like four days, like crazy times. And it was, it's a really, it was a really cool listen to see how they, just how they went about some of them. And he said that the, in this last John Wick where he rolls down the stairs he said that the stunt double guy, he was a French guy, he said didn't speak much English. And he's like, and I'm standing there at the top of like 220-something stairs. And he's like, all right, we got to fall down these stairs. He's like, okay. 
He's like, he didn't care. He's like, this guy's got muscles where you shouldn't have muscles. He's like, you know, he's like, we just sent him down the stairs. And the first time he went down like 10 steps and got hung up in the, the railing and we had to do it again. He's like, and the second time he goes all the way to the bottom. He's like, and I'm pretty sure that's the take we used. What's he going all the way to the bottom? <laughs> and I'm like, he's just crazy. And he's like, he's like Keanu had like one day off on the first movie when they made it. He's like, he filmed one of the scenes with a 102 degree fever and the flu one time. One of the hardest action scenes. He's like, he's just a workaholic. He just never left. He's like, the day that he had off, we walked by his trailer at 4.30 getting ready to shoot, and he's up helping someone else with their scenes. Um, he talked about Halle Berry, how she came to him. It's like, I want to be in your next John Wick. And she, like, the dogs that she has, the Belgian Malinois, mm-hmm. she was, like, their mother for eight months. Like, everything that those dogs did, she they, like, like listened to her. She was their master. It was really cool to like hear some of that stuff. And he's like, you know, people would like be on set and they would just like get near Hallie with the dogs and they just kind of look at them and like, no, don't get near Hallie because it's, it's like the, those are, that's their master. And they're like, mm-hmm. why are you, why are you near my mom, dog? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So it was, it was cool to see and how they did some of the special effects and how they used some practical effects and how they used some CGI and, and the, the, the benefits thereof. He's like, you talked about, um, uh, Quentin Tarantino, how he still uses like actual blood packs all the time. He's like, and that's cool. He's like, but what a lot of people don't think about. He's like, some of those scenes, you know, you got to shoot three and four times. Well, to reset. Yeah. He's like, we I can't remember how many people they killed in the last movie. He was like, like three hundred and something or something stupid. He's like, if we had blood packs on every one of those people and we had to reset the scene, he's like, it'd be three and four hour resets because we have to change clothes for thirty seven extras. And reset and do all the stuff. He's like, it just. He's like, when Sweating. you when you use CGI for the blood and the impacts, he's like, reset takes five minutes. Yeah. So we reset and we shoot again. He's like, it just for the time and the the budget. He's like, it just didn't make sense for us to use that. So it was super cool to hear. And then obviously Rogan's take on everything. Apparently Rogan's the one that told him to use the seventy one Barracuda in one of the movies, and he actually did it. <laughs> so. Just it was a cool. I can't remember. Let me look up that guy. I uh, maybe we need to. I listened to it the other we day. Need, we need some CGI for when we go on a hunt and don't see any elk. We can just CGI one in there. His name That'd was be Chris very convenient. Chris something. Hold on. Of course, I need to look. Wow, I'm not that far Why don't down. You just IMDb. Well, I have it. I just listened to it, and I was hoping if I. Just pulled it up. It'd be the last one that was open, but apparently it's not because I'm stupid. I don't know. I can't find it. It's in here somewhere. And no, it's not that one. Not Theo Vaughn. It's close. Chad Stilins. That's it. Still. Yeah, that's it. St- Stilinski. I can't say. Yeah, I knew we had a funny last name. I can't remember how to say it. Mm. Yeah, anyway. So it's it's worth a listen. You would enjoy it. But uh, all right, we're an hour in. I gotta go get my daughter to go to soccer practice today. Good. Yeah. All right, guys. Peace.